0: Hey, y'all, my name is
1: Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emanuel and Hooksett. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Let's go ahead to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be Oh, darkness, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and men. Bitterness brings darkness. Bitterness brings I have shared with you the story of this dear woman and art. And um, over the course of my ministry, which spans somewhere around 30 years now, I've I've seen a plague of bitterness and a drought of true love. When we deal with the topics of bitterness and deal with the topic of love, we're dealing with our influence on the world around us. And we're dealing with our influence in our churches. And we're dealing with our influence in our home. What we're dealing with is light and darkness. Light and darkness. He said if your eye is full of darkness, consider that. Interesting thing about that is there's some very powerful lessons to learn in that passage full of darkness and the light that is in you is darkness. Now, this dear woman that I was mentioning, as I said, she thought she was just the best. Everyone should bow to her. She's royalty in this church. She was full of herself, self-righteous. Her light, her supposed Christian light was darkness. She was spreading no hope. She was spreading no joy. She was spreading no love. She was condemning and judgmental. And you're saying, Pastor, you're being judgmental. I was a pastor, so it's kind of my job is to correct and rebuke him. through my deacon that was accomplished. But she didn't repent. She did not repent. And that's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. We influence our world around us for darkness or for light. And when he, when he talks about if you're if your eye is is good, that word good means single, single-minded, when we're talking about light and darkness, you want your light to shine brightly? You need to be narrowly focused on Jesus. When Jesus is your leader, when Jesus is your king, when Jesus is your Lord, your pastor, your brother, your sister, your mother, your friend can let you down, can hurt you, can fail you, but Jesus never fails. He is your light and you are focused in on him. Far too often we focus in on everything that's wrong with everybody around us or we look at us as superior. And I see this often in new Christians, new believers, young believers, they, they get hot, they get on fire and they're just loving Jesus and then they start seeing other people that are kind of like, laissez-faire you know maybe they've been hurt maybe they've been injured maybe they maybe they're just tired and, and a lot of times young believers they look at that and, and they they begin to condemn and it's easy to become bitter when you're a young believer you're like why isn't everybody else here on work day why is it just me what's wrong with these people Bitter, bitter bitter bitterness brings darkness it shrouds it shrouds your testimony. It hides the light of Christ, and it creates burdens that will, will be best uncreated. Let's go on. Hebrews chapter twelve. Now, please, if if you have your Bibles underlined. You have your Bible apps, underline it, highlight it, do whatever you have to do. Guys, this is vital to your spiritual health, vital. (laughs) Here's chapter 12, we begin with what I just ended with. In verse one, he talks about running the race that is set before you. And in that that conversation, he gives the means by which you can run a successful race by keeping your eye narrowly focused on Jesus. That is how you successfully run the race. And he goes on, he says several other things, and then he gets to this verse here where he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any brood of bitterness springing up Cause trouble and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place for repentance although he sought it diligently with tears So first of all, we're we're told in this passage that we are to pursue holiness and peace. When we talk about light and darkness and bitterness and love, we're talking about influence. We're talking about spreading the gospel of Jesus, not only with our words, but with our lives. Right? Words and deeds and attitudes all go hand in hand. So we pursue peace. As much as in, in in other words, I've heard a counselor say this, clean up your own Sabbath street. You can't, you can't clean up your neighbor's yard. Clean up your own side of the street. Two, uh, we are to pursue holiness. He says, without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord if we are not pursuing holiness. If we're not pursuing holiness, what's, what, what is happening is we are not allowing him to live through us. That is the pursuit, the pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of Jesus in our lives daily, walking with us, within us, influencing us, guiding us, enabling us to love those that hate us. The pursuit of holiness shows the world around you that Jesus is more than an idea, he's more than a great teacher, he's more than a prophet, and he's not dead, he's alive they gotta see that in us and if we are not pursuing him and pursuing holiness, No one sees Jesus. That is the mission of the church. We talk about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and spread the gospel. But it begins with your heart being knit to his heart. How is it that about 150 disciples turned the world upside down? They loved Jesus. He was part of their everyday life. It wasn't just a Sunday morning religious thing for him, for them. It wasn't just a, a go to church thing for them, and when they were persecuted in the church in Jerusalem in the first century, persecution came down on them. And the a few people that stayed in Jerusalem, the apostles and a, and a few other disciples with them, continued on. But the rest of those believers were dispersed and ran for their lives. They ended up in a city called Antioch, and you know what happened in Antioch? Boom, the church exploded in a good way. No arms and limbs flying around, but there the church a church was planted in that place and grew to the point where they needed help. And so they called on Barnabas and Barnabas called on Paul and they ministered in that church. And that church was the first church that actually sanctioned missionaries to go out of her into the rest of the world. They carried the light with them. You didn't see them running to Antioch, throwing a temper tantrum because their government wasn't giving them their rights. They're just like, I'm going to bring Jesus with me wherever I go. You don't like him here? Come I'm going go over here. I'm just going to live for Jesus. There are people right now in our country, people that, that claim Jesus. And, and I'm not saying in this church, I'm saying it's just people that are Christians they claim Jesus, but they are bitter. They're bitter. Bitter toward their government. Bitter toward people that disagree with them. Bitter toward other believers. Bitter toward Jesus. Bitter toward God. And their light is darkness. They're dark. Both sides, guys. Don't give me this garbage. Don't give me this garbage that you're right everybody else is wrong. I don't care whether you're pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-Biden, pro-Trump. People need to get a grip and love Jesus. They need to love Jesus first, most, and best. You see what I'm saying? There, there are families this past Christmas and Thanksgiving that were shredded over the debate between vaccinations and not vaccinated and Trump and Biden. The live stream is up, Pat. You are relieved of duty. Thank you, Pat, so much, buddy. I appreciate it. You're one of the few people I knew... That you had a decent phone. Although it's not an Apple, it's, you know. Bitter people use Androids. I i used to be one. I'm just saying. That was not, that's not Bible. That's not true. And while I'm at that, I I made a mistake last week in my preaching, I was in Matthew chapter 12. And I I lost my mind for a moment, and I said that was where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was not. And I apologize for that misinterpretation that Sunday. No one came to me. Did none of you notice? Some of you did. I thank you for your grace. There was no false doctrine, but it was definitely like I was about 15 chapters ahead in my brain. So I apologize for that. Anyways, I digress. We're to pursue holiness because without Jesus, without us living lives that resemble Christ, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. If we're not wrapped up in his holiness and not with self-righteous hypocrisy, but, but, but a true life that's a reflection of the Savior, no one will see the Lord. Self-righteousness versus righteousness. Bitter people become self-righteous. The funny thing about bitter people is they don't see their own bitterness. So next, we get to the crux of the matter. Falling short of the grace of God is not about losing our salvation. It's about falling short of the grace of God. It's about living a life that's unworthy of the grace that has been poured out on us. The word says in Ephesians, we are to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called. And this falling away may include those who have a form of religion, but deny the power thereof, which is Jesus. And those who are religious, but lost. But we ourselves are to watch out that we do not fail this grace that has been poured on us. And we are also realize this, that there may be some in our midst that don't know Jesus. And everybody assumes they do. I was one of them. 16 years old in this church, was not sure of my salvation for a year after I started coming to Emmanuel. A year and a month. Just wasn't sure. I had people coming up to me because I was playing the game. I was trying my best to be righteous, to be acceptable by God. I was trying to, I was trying to be so good that he, was, he, you know, he would accept me That's not the gospel. The gospel is he accepts you first and then makes you good as you cooperate with him. That was self-righteous. And I had ladies coming up, oh, I wish my son was like you. And I'm thinking, you really don't. You don't. You do not. I wouldn't wish this confusion and doubt on my worst enemy. It was terrible. It was terrible. You don't know who knows Jesus in this place. Some of y'all look at people and you judge them in your own church family. You judge them because you're like, oh, my goodness, how could she wear that skirt so short? You do. I've heard it. Not recently, but when I first took over, I heard it. We worked really hard to destroy that attitude in this church. But folks, you don't even know if that person knows Jesus. You don't know. We need to be aware of these things. We need to have a shining light, not only to the lost and dying, but to our own friends and family and, and church. I was talking to somebody yesterday about raising kids and how, how so many times we forget the patience, love, and grace and mercy that God pours into us as his children. And and discipline is good, and discipline is necessary, but not without mercy, not without grace, and not without love. We, we We don't display the grace of God in our homes. We discipline our children because they're embarrassing us. Not a good reason. Discipline them because... They need to know Jesus, discipline them to the cross, teach them to come to Jesus and come to God when they fall and they fail, teach them to come to you when they fall and they fail. Parents, well, I've been doing some parenting series here by accident. Parents, read Romans chapter eight, read to the end of Romans chapter eight, where he says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You read that. And how many of us take great comfort in that? Wow, what, a, what an awesome thing that God would put that down in Scripture so that I would know that. So no matter what obstacles I was facing, falling, failing, sword, famine, success, failure, Jesus loves me, God loves me in Christ, and he proved it to me. How amazing is it? It draws me to him when I fail to know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what glory is in that statement. And yet we look at our children and we, we treat them in, as, as garbage sometimes because they're not measuring up. And when they fall and they fail, they don't have a passage of scripture from God that's written to them. They have you and what you've told them and how you've treated them. Have you told your kids lately that I love you? No matter what, I love you. And I can get upset at you, and I should. And I can discipline you, and I should but nothing nothing will stop me from loving you nothing that you do say nothing i love you have you guys written that on the hearts of your kids yet it's not too late it's not too late you need to if you got young kids you need to start if you have older kids adults you're still impacting your kids They're trying to live off the garbage that you poured into them. (laughs) Might be time to call them up and say, hey, I'm sorry. I never expressed how much I love you. I told you I loved you, but I want you to know something. I love you. There's only one person I love more than you, and that's your mother. (laughs) That's how I talk to my kids. There's nobody else, just your mom. And then the three of you are even. I love my church. I love the kids in my church. But I love my kids more than yours. Anyways, I digress. Lord, help me. Maybe I should not sleep more often. What was that about? That was about the fact that you don't know who knows Jesus. You don't know if your kids know Jesus. You don't know if your church family knows Jesus. You don't even know if your wife knows Jesus. I mean, you might suspect that she might have told you. But we need to live our lives as if we're the only Christ anyone is ever going to see. Wrapped up in his holiness, pursuing holiness, pursuing peace.
0: So often we're
1: so concerned with our rights. We're so concerned with how our, our, our wives love us or our husbands love us. Or we're concerned how our kids love us and And we forget that, as I mentioned earlier, we should be more concerned about how we're loving them. That's not to say that conflict should be empty. Conflict is a godly thing. Conflict and confrontation are not dirty words. They're words of growth. But conflict should be saturated and dripping with love, grace, mercy, and understanding because we are pursuing peace and holiness. So finally... We're gifted. I'm going to close here. Um, We are gifted. Yeah, wow. Feeling pretty good now. I decided to end it in in my preparation here. I'm in shock right now. We are gifted with the following phrase and then an example. We are gifted with the phrase that, a, that lest any fruit, any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many be defiled. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become Defiled this is I've said this before Jesus God could have just given us the four gospels, and maybe one or two old old Testament books prophecies, right He could have given us a few prophecies. Jesus could have been born proved to the prophecies he's got three hundred and thirty in his in his uh, reputation room um, and then given us maybe Romans, and been done with it. But he gave us 66 books and letters. You want to talk about a creator that loves his creation. And he gave us this letter, and this letter he tells us, guys, beware, beware, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It's a gift, He shares with us and he warns us of this spiritual, relational, and physically deadly root called bitterness. It's a gift to know this stuff. And how many of us go through our lives ignoring the warning that God has given us? And we watch our families be destroyed and we watch our churches destroyed and we watch our testimony destroyed because we have allowed bitterness to rule our day. Now, the frightening part of this passage is we we read about Esau. Esau is an interesting cat. He was, he was a mess. I'm going to take a few minutes as we close to share his story and some things that maybe we can learn from it. So Esau. Genesis chapter 25. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. If you want to turn there, it's great. Verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew. I love stew. I love lentils. I love those things. I would have been like Esau, man. Jacob's cooking this stew. Esau comes in from the field and he, he's so weary. He says to Jacob, please feed me some of that red stew for I'm weary. I've been out hunting all day and I'm starving to death. I'm starving to death. Come on, Jacob. Be a good bro. And he was his brother. He was his younger brother. And so uh, the Bible says, uh, therefore the name is called Edom because it's red. And Jacob said, Jacob's the younger brother. How many of you guys are the babies in the family? Raise your hand. Babies rule, older kids drool. Jacob wanted Esau's birthright. On the way out of the womb, Jacob was reaching for Esau's heel because he wanted to come out first. I mean, Jacob was a man with purpose and mission. So he looks at Esau and he's like, I'll give you some of my stew if you sell me your birthright. Deal? Esau, the Bible says, despised his birthright. He says, look, I'm about to die. What's a birthright to me? Esau's probably one of the first drama queens in the Bible. And Jacob said, swear to me, swear to me as of this day. And he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stool of lentils. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. So let's look at the story. Esau was his father's favorite son. He grew up knowing all about Yahweh, God. He he grew up knowing about God. He grew up knowing he was going to lead the family one day. He grew up knowing... uh, that, that he was responsible. He was the firstborn. The blessings of the firstborn were going to be poured out on him. He, he was a strong, manly, impressive man. He was a fighter and he was a hunter. Reminds me of Randy. Yeah. More ways than one. Anyways, just kidding. Randy's not here to defend himself. I love my big brother dearly. His brother Jacob was a shepherd, not a hunter like his brother was. He lacked the thickness of stature and the typical masculine hairiness. And he was his mom's favorite son. It's a difficult thing, families, to keep your kids even. I joke about it with my kids. But the reality is I I try very hard to keep it on an even keel. Esau went hunting one day. How many of you guys have been hunting? Anybody a hunter here? I coach football, and all my football brother coaches, they all hunt, and I just stand there. They're telling me their hunting stories, and I'm kind of like Jacob, like, wow, yeah, Esau, how many points did that buck have? Wow, And he was how far? Oh, man, I can't believe he missed him. No idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was over there, and I was in this blind. And I'm like, you were blind? Why are you having a gun? It makes no sense. Jacob wasn't a hunter. He was a mama's boy. Esau goes hunting, has a bad day. Tired, he's hungry. I'm talking to to the head coach of last year's varsity team, and, and he was the one telling me this story about hunting, and he didn't get his deer. He was out early. I mean, these people are crazy. Four o'clock in the morning, I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to this field before work tomorrow morning. I'm going to get up at four. I'm, I, I'm going to see where he's. I'm going, to, I'm going to hide, and I'm going to get this buck. And he probably didn't. This is Esau. He's having a bad day hunting. He's hungry. He sees Jacob cooking some stew. He asked for some. Jacob's a younger brother, ambitious. I mentioned that. And he displays utter carelessness. And this is the thing we miss. He displays utter carelessness for God and the things of God. We miss that when we see hebrews he said he was a profane person and that word profane means wants nothing to do with god wants nothing he's god is not really even on his radar except what he can get he just wants the blessings from god he wants none of the responsibilities to god or to his position i'm about to die man this, this position of being the firstborn, the birthright, often included a double portion of the inheritance. It included authority over the family. It, it, it would, in, in the nation of Israel, it, it would include a priesthood over the family, leading the family to God. He didn't really care about it. He just wanted the blessings. He just wanted the inheritance, none of the responsibility. The Bible says he despised his birthright. I was reading, uh, studying this, and I came across this, and it blew my mind. Imagine if Esau had not despised his birthright. The line of Christ would have come through Esau. You see what bitterness can do? His mind was set on earthly things. The things of God meant nothing to him, and the Bible calls him that profane person. He we're given an example now of what bitterness can look like and what, what may come from it and where it may come from. He became bitter over losing his birthright. Oh, it's empty. I'm bitter right now. He became bitter over his empty cup of coffee, over losing the blessing of his birthright. And when he was growing older, he wanted it back. He wanted it back. But the damage was done. And so hear me well. Esau became bitter because of his perception and his lack of contentment, which should have come from God. He pursued his own blessings instead of receiving blessings from God. He became bitter because he was filled up with the things of earth. And when he didn't think he was getting what he deserved, he got bitter. He got bitter. And the next thought, I think, is very scary. He tried to repent. In tears, he tried to find repentance. But he could not. The end of his life came, like this dear old lady at this other church. And there was no more time left. No more time to be a shining light. No more time to focus on Jesus instead of things and people and offenses. No more time to focus on what you didn't get that you thought you deserved. No more time for any of that. It's too late. It's too late. He sought repentance with tears, but he wasn't repentant. He was sorrowful over losing his blessings and losing his birthright. In the beginning of this message, do you remember what I talked about? If the eye is single, the body is full of light. His focus wasn't on Jesus. His focus wasn't on Yahweh. When it came down to it, he couldn't turn and focus on Jesus. He couldn't turn and focus on Yahweh. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He was bitter. Bitterness is a big deal. As we close, I want, to leave you some, I want to leave you with some hope this morning. Things got a little dark there. Bitterness has ruined churches. I've said it before. Bitterness is ruining churches today. And I believe our church is in the midst of a revival. And I don't want to see any kind of bitterness creep into this church and destroy her. We need to beware lest any root of bitterness spring up. That's going to be next week, but bitterness is a root. And often it's hidden. It's under the surface. Out of sight, out of mind, we don't deal with it. And we think somehow we're going to escape the fruit of the root, and we don't. Bitterness is a big deal. The hope I want to leave you with is, first of all, turn to Jesus before it's too late. If you have any bitterness in your heart, number one, just turn to Jesus. Focus on Christ before it's too late. Don't be an Esau. Don't wait until you're so full of bitterness that even the thought of turning is so humiliating. But you can't possibly repent. Guys, don't let that happen to you. Turn to Jesus. I will say this don't worry about the tears. Esau had tears. Oh, dude, I was a youth pastor. Kids can cry. Drop of a hat, they'll cry. Don't believe them. Do not believe the tears. It's really hard. I'm an empath that pulls at my heartstrings, man. Kid starts crying at me, and I just want to, oh, come here. And they're not repentant. Sometimes we think, I can't repent until I work up the emotion. If you know it's wrong, it's wrong. Repent of it. The emotions will come later. Don't wait for an emotional response. Oh, that was a really good message, Pastor. I really felt that. I don't care if you feel it. Do something about it. Search your heart and start with turning and focusing on Jesus. Any of those things that are hurting you, that are harming you, that are bothering you, that you've been holding on to for sometimes for years. Start looking at Jesus because he is the hope. He is the hope. And he can bring joy back. He can bring joy back to your life. Hey, y'all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website emmanuelhooksit.com where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.